Have your Bibles. I want you to turn with me this morning to the uh, 24th chapter of Matthew. And I'm going to teach today on Jesus's prophecies, Jesus's earthly ministry prophecies. And uh, I'm going to get into that today there. This is recorded in Matthew 24. It's also recorded in Mark 13, also recorded in Luke 21. And this was each one of those gospel writers' recordings of what is called the Olivet Dissertation. Uh, that's just a fancy name of saying what he said when he was on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple Mount. And uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some things here that uh, had to do with Jesus' prophecy about the end time and about the destruction of the temple and so forth. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start with Matthew 24. And then we'll probably go to Luke 21 and, and to go from there. Mark uh, 13 pretty well says the same thing. Rather than just do a lot of reading from all the Gospels, all three Gospels, I'm going to just going to refer here to some to Matthew and then to Luke as well. And I want you to look in, uh, in Matthew. Let's start here, Matthew 24, 1. And this was after, this was after Jesus had just gotten through saying, uh, in the 23rd chapter, verse 37, if I can back up just for a moment there, uh, the 23rd chapter, 27, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thee, thy children together, even as a hen gathered her mother under her wings, but your house is left unto you desolate. That's it's very interesting that he would say that. Your house is left unto you desolate. Uh, over in Luke, uh, he speaks of it in a different manner, and uh, he speaks of not so much as the house, but he talks about how that uh, the temple was going to be destroyed. He said, not one stone should be left upon another. Now, when he got <clears throat> over uh, where he was going here, look at verse 24, uh, chapter 24, rather, verse 1 now. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. He left the temple now. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. They were so happy about their temple. Their temple was a, a beautiful edifice in the then known world. One of the most beautiful buildings throughout all the Roman Empire. And it was very noteworthy by the Greeks, by the Romans, the Egyptians. And certainly the Jews were very proud of their temple that they had there. And Jesus, uh, when he went out of the temple, they were saying, Lord, look what a beautiful temple we had. And he had just got through seven years, house is left under you desolate. And so now they're going out of the temple, temple, they're going away from the temple mount, they're going out on the Mount of Olives where they look back over across a little valley and they can see the temple. And as they do so, they say, look what a beautiful temple that we have. And the temple was in building. It had been started to be refurbished and remodeled. Uh, about uh, 30 B.C., and it lasted until 70 A.D. It lasted for about, uh, what's that, 90 years, 30, I think it's 100 years. About 100 years it lasted after it had been refurbished. And so the Jews were very, uh, very, uh, very excited about it. Now, let me give you a little background about the temple. Uh, the Temple of Solomon was the first temple built on that Temple Mount. It was built 1,000 years before Christ. And there is no picture or no image or anything we have of Solomon's temple. There's no knowledge. There was no description. Only a little 
little bit of description in the Bible is all we have. But there is no other description we have. So they don't really know what Solomon's temple looked like, except that it was a magnificent building, and it was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. And so Solomon's temple was very fabulous, very, very beautiful, and it stood for 600 years. Now, uh, in, five, in 606 B.C., 606 B.C., that's 400 years after Solomon now, the Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem. Let me just take a little time here and back, give you some background here. Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem. And uh, I'll give you a map here. This is a, a map showing you here what we're talking about. This is the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. This is Israel right in here. Uh, if you see Bethlehem is right here. This is Jerusalem right here. This is the Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee is this little round circle. The, big round, the bigger, longer circle is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River in between. This is Israel right here. What happened was in 606 B.C., because Israel continued to live in sin, they turned their back on God, they despised the commandments of the Lord, they become almost where they said, who is God? And so the Lord said, okay, I'm going to judge you. So in 606, he sent the Babylonians. Babylon is over here and is today in the country of southern Iraq. Southern Iraq. This would be Iraq. And they came over here conquering, conquering all around. They came down in here and they conquered Jerusalem. And they took the king off the throne, put another, his brother on the throne, said, now, you pay taxes to us and we will protect you and keep you and so forth. Taxes were like 50% of everything they had went to the king of Babylon. It was, it was just it was highway robbery. And so they went back. And for seven years they did that. And finally they said, we're not doing that no more. The Jews did. And so that king said, we're not listening to you no more. We're not, we don't, we're not interested. So Babylon, so Nebuchadnezzar came back with his army. And in 599, he conquered it again. I mean, that conquered it. He just went in there and restored order. He took that king off the throne, put his brother on the throne, said, all right, now you, you be the king, you pay your taxes, blah, 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 and everything will be fine. So he left and went back again. This rocked along until 588, 588, 11 years later, B.C. And in 588, again, the same thing happened. And so this time Nebuchadnezzar came back. He was full of anger. And when he came back this time, he destroyed the city and destroyed the temple of Solomon, leveled it to the ground, burned everything. Now, in all of these trips that he made, in 606, he took Daniel and three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, back to Babylon with him. Uh, in 599, he took Ezekiel back to Babylon with him. He was of the, of the priesthood. These men later were used as God as prophets who prophesied things that were coming to pass that would come to pass upon Israel and so forth. 588, they leveled and devastated everything. The temple was destroyed and the, the Jews were just, they were, they were captured. They were scattered throughout all these parts of the world here. And they were called Jews because most of them were from the tribe of Judah. And so they were scattered here for, for 70 years, starting at 606 until 536 B.C. And the Lord even told Daniel, said it's going to be for a 70-year period after that, they're going to go back. In the meantime, 
I'm just giving you a little bit on the temple here now. In the meantime, the media Persians over here, that's Iran today, came across and conquered Babylon. And there was a king here by the name of Cyrus. It had already been prophesied in Isaiah 200 years before there would be a king. His name would be Cyrus. And that he would give the Jews permission to go to Jerusalem and build the temple. And sure enough, this is exactly what that king did. Not even knowing that the word even said that. He responded that way. He said to those Jews, now go back and rebuild your city. Rebuild your, your temple especially. And 50,000 Jews went back from Babylon, all this area that they were been scattered in. And they were like, Daniel never went back. He was an old man and would only live another year or two after that. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, no more said about them. They may have already passed on. Ezekiel never went back. Uh, these men stayed and finished out their days over here in, this, in, this, uh, in the uh, Gentile area. These other people came back, and their leader was a, by the name, a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was, uh, was in the lineage of David and would be the forefather of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and would also be the forefather of, of uh, Joseph, who was not Jesus' earthly father, but he was considered his, I mean, not his real father, but his earthly father, and so forth. And so they went back and they rebuilt the temple in 536 B.C. And in building the temple, it was called Zerubbabel's temple. And Zerubbabel's temple, whenever it was built, Haggai cried. He said, I remember Solomon's temple. He was an old prophet. And he said, this is nothing like that. And, and Zechariah was a young prophet. And he looked at it and he said, oh, how wonderful. We now have a temple. And he was happy. So one prophet laughed. And danced and rejoiced, and the old prophet cried. And it was a, this recorded that in the Word of God. And so this temple of Zerubbabel's temple was built, and it stood for about 400 years until the coming of Christ. Now, along the way, along the way, there was a guy that rose up under the, in the old Roman Empire by the name of Herod. Herod was not a real Jew. He was an Edomite. His father was an Edomite, which was a tribe of Esau. And the Jews did not want anybody that was not a Jew to be their king. But the Caesar in Rome put him over them as a king because he'd paid him money and, and played footsies with him and all that. So Caesar made him a king. So he was a king, but the Jews never accepted that. So in order to get the Jews to accept him, as a lawful and a credible king, Herod decided to refurbish and remodel this temple. And so he did. And he began to rebuild it and restructure it and redo this and redo that. Spent a lot of money on it and everything. And it came to be called Herod's Temple. Herod's Temple. This is an artist's drawing of what Herod's Temple may have looked like if you're standing on the southeast corner of it looking at it. And uh, if you look at the temple, this is the way it was in the days of Christ. This is an artist's drawing here. This would be the court of the Gentiles, court of the women inside here. This would be the court of Israel, as it was called, just Jewish men only. And then this was the court of the priesthood. Only the priests could go in here, and only the high priests uh, went. Well, the priests, in their turn, in their order, would go inside the temple. But on the back was the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest once a year went into the Holy of Holies. Very sacred levels of place and so forth. 
And so this was that temple of Herod uh, in the days of Christ, as you would see. This is one artist's drawing. This is another artist. I'm just showing you that because. And the reason that they know more about this temple is because uh, there was a, a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus who described this temple very much in detail. So with the detail they have, this is, of course, two pages uh, that's been taken out of a book. And this is Herod's temple. Another way of looking at it, this would be the northeast corner. And again, here's uh, the courts and so forth. And the brazen altar here and then the labor of water and so forth. Then you enter into the temple. I'm just giving you an idea here about the temple as it was in the day. So when those disciples here in the first chapter, uh, the first verse rather of chapter 24 said, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him to show him the temple buildings of the temple. And they were so proud of it. They were so exuberant about it. They loved it. Each one of these gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, speaks about how they said, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it adorned? And so forth. And they described it in that fashion. Now, I want you to look at the next verse of scripture here in verse 2. This is where we're going. Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And wow, that hit him like, like a lead balloon. They went on across the valley of Kitron. They went up on the valley, up on the Mount of Olives. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, <clears throat> when shall these things be? Now, that first question was concerning the temple and it being destroyed, not one stone left upon another. When shall these things be? And he goes on to say here, uh, and the second question was, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? Because Jesus said he would go away and he would come again, receive them unto himself. This is spoken of in St. John 14 very extensively. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And the word world here, of course, is a, is a Greek word that it comes from eon, and it means age. It does not mean the world uh, as the earth. It is speaking here of the age or the period of time. So I say, what shall be the end of this age or the age of the period of time? Now, Jesus goes in, starting in verse 4, Jesus goes in here to talk about it and everything. Now, Luke describes it the same way as well. If I'm looking over here, Luke 21, 5, if you look at Luke 21, 5. And as some speak of the temple, how it was adorned in goodly stones and gifts, he said, as for these things which behold thou, which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? In other words, when's the temple going to be destroyed? And what sign will there be when these things shall, it shall come to pass? So the emphasis that he puts on it here is that they were interested more in the temple being destroyed than they were in the things about the coming of the Lord. And so he goes on here to talk about it. And verse, I'm going to look here at Luke 21, 8. He said, take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and that the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. And folks, all through the church age, there have been people who have said, I am of Christ. And they have, uh, they've, you know, they've said, I'm the Messiah, the one named Kachba. 
he rose up about about one, I think, one thirty, and he said he was the Messiah, and all a lot of bunch of Jews followed him and everything, and that all ended in a big revolution with the Romans, and they were all killed, and half a million Jews died over that one, and all through history, uh, there was times even in our dark ages when uh, a lot of Jews in in Europe made treks back to the Holy Land, thinking it was time the Messiah was coming. There's word and so forth. And they would, you know, one time there was a lot of children that went. And the parents thought it was all of God, and they let their children go. These children all died getting across the mountain, the Alps, and Switzerland, and, and trying to get into southern Europe. And it was a pathetic thing. But I'm just trying to say here, the Lord tells us that there's going to be a lot of false rumors. Folks, let me say this. Jesus is coming back. He was the Messiah. And when he comes back, he won't be coming back with... <laughs> I had a guy one time in our old church down here. I was down there praying at the altar in the church. You know, nobody was there with me, and I was down there praying. I'd done some cleaning up and sweeping around there, and then I'd been in prayer. This guy came into the church, and he had a bathrobe and flip-flop on and a cane in his hand. And I said, hey, how are you doing? Hi, he said. He said, uh, I am uh, Elijah. I'm Elijah, and I've come to set God's people in order and warn them that the Messiah is coming. I said, well, glad to meet you, Elijah. I'm Doubting Thomas. <laughs> you know, Doubting Thomas. And Jesus apparently doubted until he showed him the end. You know, I'm Doubting Thomas and everything. Oh, you don't believe it? No, I said, I'm sorry, I don't, everything. And he said, well, how do you get to the 7-Eleven or something like that? I said, down this road around the corner. <laughs> one guy came there one time was saying he was something, and I... I said, can I give you a lift or something? I'll be glad to take you somewhere. No, I, I'm standing on foot. I'm standing on foot. But anyhow, you've got these kind of people that's drifting around. Don't ever go for it. When Jesus comes, he'll split the eastern skies. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, as he goes away, so shall he come again. Amen. That's the way Jesus will always come. But you get all these stories about how people go. I'm going to stick here with that, uh, here about the deception of things. So he talks about the early church. I'm here in Luke chapter 21, verse 8. And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them, but when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. That's not the end yet. There's some things that have to happen. And then in verse 12, I'm looking at Luke 21, 12 now, in the first Four words, but before all of these, before all these happen, then they're going to say, now here's what's going to happen next. So when Jesus is talking, he's talking now from verse 12 on, he talks about the destruction of the temple. <clears throat> Look at this very closely with me. Verse 12, and they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues. That's exactly what they did to the Christians and unto the prisons being brought before kings, rulers, for my name's sake. Exactly right, because even the Lord told Paul, Paul, I'm going to have you come before kings and rulers <coughs> for my name's sake, and you'll testify to them. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all of your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. So I'm going to give you the words to say. You don't have to try to meditate on what you're going to say. He's telling them, and this is what happened in the early church period of time. Excuse me. 
verse 16. And you shall be betrayed both by parents, brethren, kinfolks, friends. Some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And that's exactly what did happen. And as you well know, there was a number of Christians who were killed in that early church period of time. And he goes on to say, verse 17 and 18, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not come a hair of your head perish. In other words, you may be killed, but you'll never perish. In other words, folks, let me say this. If you die for Jesus, you're going to have eternal life. You're going to have eternal life. And, this, this, the, and there is going to be a resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the dead, the body. Praise the Lord. I won't go into detail there. There's a soul and spirit in the body and all of these be reunited when the rapture takes place and we'll be made into have a body like as under his glorified body. Jesus' body never saw corruption. Our bodies do. Our bodies do. But it doesn't rule out the fact that there's going to be a resurrection. Now, in verse 20, he goes on then talking about that temple and Jerusalem itself. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is near or nigh. The desolation is nigh. And they had just gotten through saying, Lord, look at this beautiful temple. And he said, no, no, it's going to go. Now, one stone shall be left upon another. And when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then the desolation is near. Verse 21, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, let them which are in the midst, in the midst thereof depart out. Let not them that are in the, country, uh, the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Concerning this temple and all these things against Israel is speaking of here. And then he goes on to say here, but woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, burn nursing mothers. For there shall be, a, be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, the Jewish people, this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now Jesus gave this prophecy here concerning the destruction of the temple. And folks, that's exactly the way it happened. And I just tell you here today, if it's in the word of God, believe it. Jesus told them exactly the way it would happen. He said, whenever you see the armies come past Jerusalem, don't think that you're going to be delivered. And this is interesting because the Christian Jews understood the words of Jesus. And when that happened, they obeyed him. And they left, if I can use this map again here. Well, that map's not quite big enough. Uh, I'll just refer to it anyhow. Whenever the... Uh, Whenever it did happen and Jerusalem was compassed, this is Jerusalem right here. The Christian Jews there, there were some 10,000 Christian Jews, they say in Jerusalem, between 5 and 10. <clears throat> James, the brother of Jesus, he was the son of Joseph and Mary. He was the pastor of this church in Jerusalem. Very wise, one of the wisest men of his day. And he was the pastor of this church in Jerusalem. There's Peter, James, and John. And this James, praise the Lord, was not the brother of John, but this is the James that was the brother of Jesus. That is half-brother. It says that he was the son of Mary and Joseph. Anyhow, he was a pastor here. He was killed about 66 A.D. by the Jews. And those Jews said, it's time for us to start leaving Jerusalem. And then they started the army of the Romans coming down because 
Jerusalem and Israel was getting so wicked and mean. They had factions. I cannot describe to you the factions where they fought against each other, constantly fighting each other. And, uh, and when they had killed James, the Jews, the Christian Jews, it's time to get out. And they left Jerusalem and they went over here, crossed the Jordan River, and they went up to about up to here to a place called Pella. And at Pella, they all went so that when 70 AD came, and the Roman army finally came and circled around Jerusalem, there were no more Jews left in that, I mean, no more Christian Jews left in the city. God had delivered them because they believed the words of Jesus. The other says, who is Jesus? We don't pay attention to what he said. God's gonna deliver us, God's gonna deliver us. And they believe that, and of course it didn't happen. In that, in that uh, 70 AD, when the Romans came in on the Jews and destroyed the city and the temple, Again, not just the Babylonians at that time, way back in 588, but now in 780. When that happened, that's been 2,000 years ago now. When all that happened, those Jews that were, they were fighting among themselves, and they literally believed that God was going to spare their temple and their city, that God just would not let that happen. And it absolutely did happen. That was over, over a million Jews. They say a million and a hundred thousand Jews that were killed. Killed because it was a feast day. They had all gathered there from all over the known world. And many of them had gotten in there and they would be trapped in there. And many of them were killed. A lot of them were killed on the way down in there before they ever got to, to Jerusalem. They killed in other cities, Galilee and so forth. They killed a lot of Jews. And then they took all that were captive and they took them down into Egypt and sold them into slavery. And so I'm just telling you the devastation that happened to Israel. And Jesus had told them, not one stone shall be left upon another. He said, oh, Jerusalem. I would have gathered thee unto me, but you would not. Can I just say something here today, folks? We are so blessed in America. And I feel the Holy Ghost all over me now saying that we are so blessed in America. God has blessed this country. We are not the smartest people in the world, believe me. We're not the, we're not the most industrial people in the world. We're not so great. God has just been good to us. I'm talking about America now as a nation. God has just been good to America. And we owe God praise and thanksgiving and worship and understanding that he is the source of all the goodness that has come to us in this nation. But sad to say, it seems like America is drifting away from that. And it's almost like it's almost like those Jews were back in that Babylonian period of time and the days of Christ. You know, like, who is God? You know, God who? You know, you know that kind of a thing. It's, it's an attitude. We don't need God. We can do it all ourselves. We, we gotta, and, and that's the attitude that's going on in America today. Is that through our brilliance and through our this and, and America now is becoming so divided politically. I won't even get into that sort of it. And it's becoming so divided spiritually and religiously. And it's becoming so divided morally until America is just not together anymore. And yet people go headlong into all of this anti-Christ spirit and attitude. Excuse me again. <coughs> While I cough. But I'm just trying to tell you here today that God wants us to keep on holding up his name. There can yet be a great revival in America. That can still be a move of God. 
there can still be uh, the hand of the Lord move if we will pray and seek the face of God and ask God to bring revival upon our country and so forth. And I don't know how long we got, but I do know we're running out of time. We're running out of time. But can I just say one thing? God will always keep his hand upon his people. And don't ever forget that. I have recently been making a list of the scriptures in the Bible where God says, I will never forsake the righteous, never forsake the righteous. And I keep writing them down and I got a half a page full of scriptures. I mean, I haven't even counted them up yet. I'm not even hardly, hardly started all the scriptures where God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, uh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God will always take care of his people. And I just want to tell you here today, I don't care what happens in America, what happens in the world. And I don't care how upside down things can get. God will take care of his own. And whenever it looked like that Israel was turning upside down, those Christian Jews left there because Jesus has said, when you see this come to pass, then flee, get out of it. And this has happened all through time. My wife and I were over in, uh, over in Rome, over in Italy, uh, several years ago, a number of years ago. And uh, we were going through old Pompeii. Pompeii was a city that was completely destroyed with volcano ashes. It just wiped out everything. It killed people instantly. And that city was wholly given over uh, to uh, debauchery, especially homosexuality. And uh, anyhow, we, we went to that city. And of course, now you can walk the streets. They've got it all cleaned up. And you can see the, you can see the stones and then you walk the streets. And you can see outlines of buildings where they were and all those kind of things. And a guide was telling us about all of this. And they said, we also know, we also know that in this city, and it was destroyed in 79 AD, nine years after the temple was destroyed. We also know that this temple of Pompeii, I mean, this, this city of Pompeii was destroyed before it was destroyed, that there were Christian, there was a Christian church here. And I know that in 79 AD, the Christian church would have been an apostolic Jesus name, Holy Ghost filled church. I know that because I was a teacher of the Bible in that first century. But they said they disappeared. We don't know where they went, why? And I said to my wife, hallelujah, I know why and I know where they went. God spoke to them somehow or another. I don't know whether it was a message in tongues, interpretation, but God looks after his own. I'm telling you folks, trust him, he does. And they left that city before the ashes of Mount Vesuvius blew and they were all covered. And, demolished by Mount Vesuvius, the, the volcano mountain that exploded near there and so forth. And so they fled from there. But I'm just trying to tell you here that God looks after his own. Praise the Lord. It's like that little church down in Columbia. Those people were in there worshiping, praising the Lord and everything. And it was nighttime. Lights were on. It was a Sunday night. And two messages in tongues, interpretation came forth, one and then finally another. And it says, leave this place for you're in great danger and flee into the mountains. And the mountains were the hills, rather, than, uh, across the road, there was some hills up in there and trees and woods and everything. So finally, the pastor said, follow me. And they all filed out. They went up and they left the lights and everything on. And they hadn't been up there just a, probably five, ten minutes. Um, two car loads of uh, bandits pulled up outside with guns, machine guns. And they went in there and they kicked the front door open and they walked in and they started cursing and swearing, saying they're not here, they're not here, they've already, they've gone. 
And they took the gun and they shot up the whole place, just blew it all over the gun and jumped in their car and took off. But none of the Christians perished because God had warned them ahead of time. Now, that's just what he did in one place. And God does that. The tsunami that hit over in, uh, I didn't know this until a year or so afterwards, the tsunami that hit over there in, the, in, in Asia there, uh, I forgot what year was it, 05? I can't remember. But anyway, that tsunami that hit at Christmas, it was in December at Christmas time. And uh, we talked to a guy that was on a cruise ship that was uh, from that part of the world. And uh, he was a Christian. Most of them were Muslims in that country. I think it's Malaysia. And most of them were, were uh, Muslims, and he was a Christian. And he said, what happened, he said that the Muslims will not let the Christians celebrate Christmas normally, so the Christians have to go up into the mountains to celebrate Christmas to get away from the Muslims. And so the Muslims allow that. And so what happened, it was in December, all the Christians had gone up into the mountains to celebrate Christmas. And when the tsunami came, it came in, you know, and, and it flooded all the areas and killed 100,000 people. And they were all Muslims and no Christians involved. We found this, this, this out from guys who were servants and workers on a cruise ship that were there. And they told us about it. So I'm just trying to say here to you today, God, praise the Lord, will look after his own people. And this is a wonderful consolation and a wonderful truth that God has given here. So here, Jerusalem was destroyed. God allowed it all to happen. And, uh, and he, in this 21st chapter of Luke, he, he speaks about it starting from verse 12 right on down through verse uh, 24. He talks about it until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles. And the times of the Gentiles is also mentioned over here in Rome, in Romans uh, chapter 20, uh, chapter 11 and verse 25. And it says here, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So this is the time of the Gentiles. Gentiles can be saved. The time the Gentiles will rule the world, but the Lord will come, it'll come to a time when the Lord said, it's all over with. Time of the Gentiles is all past, and I could go to Revelation 11 and talk to you about it and all of that, but we won't get into that here today. Only to say there are some things that will be happening in the end time, the end time. Now, I want you to uh, go back to verse 10 here in, I'm in uh, Luke 21. And verse 10, then said he unto them, nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilence, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. And then he says, but before all this, so then he talks about the temple being destroyed, because he's answering the first question. Then he goes back to that second question, and when shall be the end of the world, or the end of this age? And he says, and he says, great signs shall be from heaven. Now, after he gets through talking about the temple of the temple being destroyed, and that's the end of verse 24, where he says, until the time of the Gentile be fulfilled. Verse 25 picks up where verse 11 leaves off, talking about the day that we're in today. Verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations. That's where we are now. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, that's tsunamis. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. 
This is what's coming on the earth for, ahead of us today, folks. And then, and, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So this is talking about the Lord coming back here. And when these things begin to come to pass, everybody see that word begin? When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh or draweth near. And he says, when you begin to see all these things then look up because your redemption draweth near. And so he's telling us that when you begin to see signs in the heavens, signs, earthquakes, and you start seeing all of these commotions and nations rising against nation. That's a lot of what we're seeing today. Then he says, look up for our redemption draweth nigh, draweth nigh or draws nigh or draws near. And so I'm pointing out to you here, this is where we are today. Amen. And the Lord, he said that judgment begins at the house of God. That's the temple. If God, and he says, if God would judge those Jews in the, in, in, with the temple and in Jerusalem in 70 AD, don't think that he won't judge the Gentile world when it comes time for their time to be over with. And when they have turned their back on the Lord and so forth. So I'm just saying here in the world that we're living in, we're in a world in which there are Christians and then there are those that are sinners and despise God and reject God. And the church may go through some persecution. We may go through some persecution. We'll not suffer from the judgments of God or the wrath of God, but we may be we may go through persecution you never know there are christians that have gone through them in other countries and so it may be a country here a country there where persecutions <clears throat> there's been persecution in Colombia, south america there's been persecutions over in russia and so forth uh th- these things have happened and they may happen you know and they could be happening you know they could happen even right here as far as that part goes but god has said that there's nothing praise the lord that he will not keep his protection, his hand upon his people, and he'll see us through it all. Praise God. So he goes on to say here that these things will all come. Then he says here in verse 29, verse 29, he spake to them a parable. Notice this. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. And when they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is near at hand. So when you start seeing these things near at hand, and he mentioned about, behold, the fig tree and all the trees, the fig tree. It's interesting because the fig tree is a type of Israel. Uh, let me have you go to a verse of scripture. I think, uh, let's see. Uh, Let's go to Mark 11. I think that's where it is. Mark 11. Yeah. Look at a Mark 11 and verse 12. This is just an incident that happened in the life of Christ. Mark 11:12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto them, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So Jesus cursed the fig tree. 
because it had no figs on it. What happens when the fig tree puts forth its leaves, it puts forth the fruit underneath it. And when the leaves are covered, the little figs are, are all like underneath the figs, but they're, they're, and usually you eat figs after they've gotten ripe and they're real good to eat and they're, they're good if you like figs and so forth. I like figs and so forth and they'll, uh, they'll get ripe. Uh, but you can eat them when they're even green. And this is apparently what Jesus was thinking. If there's leaves, then there's some figs underneath them because they're growing. Everything, but they were not. So he cursed the fig tree. Now I'm jumping ahead here. We're still in Mark 11. Look at verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remarked, Lord, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Now, what I am pointing out to you here is that Israel is a type of the fig tree. And uh, the Bible tells us here that just as Israel is a type of that fig tree, uh, that because Israel did not serve God, they lost their place with God and the curse of God came upon them. Curse of God came upon them. And Jesus said that more or less. And that's why the Bible says, he says in one place, behold the fig tree. Now, the revival of the fig tree, the revival of the fig tree is Israel coming back into its own nation. We're seeing some of that right now over in Palestine where the Jews are returning back to Palestine, rebuilding their nation. So when you start seeing this fig tree reviving, you know that all these things are coming to pass. So in this 24th chapter, this 21st chapter of Luke and 24th chapter of Matthew, he talks about it. And if we were to go back to Matthew and read 24, it'd pretty well be the same thing as we're reading here in Luke. Uh, in the same sense of the word, same words, it talks about the fig tree as well and all, and all those things. Uh, Romans mentions it a little bit. I'm going to read Romans here, 11, 20, and he talks about the, the, uh, the branch being cut off. Well, verse 20, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. That's the branch of the tree. This is talking about the olive tree now. You're not the, not the fig tree. And Israel is a type of the olive tree as well. But because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. In other words, you Gentile, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, that is, the Jews, or Israel, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, severity, that's the Jews, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness... Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. So, and, and there is no such thing as predestination. I mean, I mean, predestination of the church, but not, not the individual predestination of the individual. There's no such thing as individual predestination. Any of us can be lost, and the Bible is full of scriptures that warn us and tell us of all of that. But I am telling you here that the scriptures here teach us that if we walk with God and serve the Lord and be faithful, folks, God will keep his hand on us. Now... There is a verse of scripture that I'm going to explain to you here next week. You don't want to miss this. I'm here in Luke chapter 21, and the very next verse after reading about the fig tree is verse 32. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. And I'm going to explain this to you in detail. Very few people understand this verse of scripture. I have a, a lady wrote me a long letter from way up in uh, somewhere in Illinois. Wanting, 
to explain. I'm going to explain this verse of scripture. It's also found in Matthew as well. You know, and what does it mean here where it says this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. Next week I'm going to explain this and uh, it's going to open your eyes here about where we are today. Where we are today. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture for it too. Everybody say praise the Lord. Thank God for the word. Amen. Thank God for his word. Amen. Let's all stand together and worship God and thank him here this morning. You've been a lovely class. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.